0: Good morning. My name is Janice, and this morning's scripture reading is John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. You can find it on page 834 in the Pew Bible in front of you. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him, of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is God's word.
1: Well, at this time... My eager children and the rest of the children who are four through first grade can be dismissed to Children's Church. They're going to head out and hear a lesson um, and come back in during the closing song. I I think we did see scripture up there, so I got a thumbs up. Thank you for trying for 35, 40 minutes to get that right. Um, Well, as they're leaving... um, for those of you wondering about how our co-ed slow-pitch church softball team is doing, which is a great concern for many of you, I know, especially as we approach playoffs, um, I will tell you that I was recently got a text message to come out of retirement and play for the team this last week, and uh, it's sort of like Tom Brady, really. It's a different sport, but otherwise very, very similar. So the games are seven innings. This one went to the bottom of the ninth, and community won in the bottom of the ninth. So that community also lost, I will tell you. We have two teams, and we were playing each other. Uh, so it was the intramural, and I was on the losing team. So there we go. Um, <laughs> that's how well that went. If you're a kid in the sanctuary who's still, still in here, we've been drawing pictures all summer. Um, we suspended Children's Church, and we're putting them up on the wall. We put paper in the pews by popular demand, and so feel free to, to draw a picture. Something you may want to be drawing would be, would be this. Here, just an image. It's not going to show up till the very end of the sermon, but it's this. What would a stairway or a ladder to heaven look like? What would a stairway or a ladder or a bridge to heaven look like? So that, you can draw anything you want, but that might be something you want to draw. So with all that in mind and all the distractions now, hopefully, fully behind us, uh, if you would pray with me one more time, we'll turn our attention to God's Word. Heavenly Father, that is what we want to do now. As we turn our attention to your word, I pray that you would do something we cannot see, but we might feel, which is that you would turn our attention to your word. And that we would see more in there than we could see with our natural eyes. That We would see the compelling beauty of the Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. We've had a church book club here for several years, and next Saturday, I think I saw Stuart in one of the, somewhere in here, he's, there we go, and Shannon, we're, we're doing Anne of Green Gables, but I don't want to talk about that, that's next Saturday. Historically, the most attend, well-attended book club we've ever had was Pride and Prejudice, like people came out of nowhere for that one, which is, which is really what we wanted, honestly. Um, but I will tell you this, if you have a number of women together and you want to see a violent, you know, um, argument breakout, you have a conversation about which movie version is the best adaptation, whether the Kira Knightley version, which it is, or the five-hour BBC <laughs> version, which it's not. Um, and uh, gee, wow. This is more of a response than I expected. But I did expect some response. So um yeah, yeah, so so, so so what I love both of those movies, I'll confess. I've repented of my Pride and Prejudice of not liking Pride and Prejudice. Um, and and I love the Kira Nightingale version because of Mr. Collins, because he he's it's the best because he's the worst. He's the absolute worst. He's the pastor in that. So I don't want to exclude you if you don't know those films or or the book, but I will tell you um, the, the central conflict in that story hinges on what the theme suggested in the title: Pride and Prejudice. Will a poor woman be able to see something special in this rich? kind of smug man and will this smug rich man be able to see something special in this poor woman specifically will the pride and prejudice of Elizabeth keep her from falling in love with Mr. Darcy and Mr. Darcy from falling in love with as Lady Catherine says a young woman of inferior birth I've paid a lot of attention to the movie and the book when described in this way we don't we don't really feel the tension so much for us maybe the tension of status perhaps but if I said it this way If you're from Harrisburg or been around here a while, could a man from Allison Hill fall in love with a woman from Manhattan? And and you start to feel, okay, there there are probably racial issues now involved. There are probably economic issues involved. There are all sorts of things happening in that. And will the pride or prejudice that might be going both directions keep them from seeing the beauty in one another? I won't tell you how the conflict in the book plays out necessarily at this point, Uh, but I will say something similar is happening in our passage. And to be candid with you, something similar is playing out in our hearts all of the time. Will pride and prejudice keep us specifically from seeing the beauty of the Savior? On the one hand, He's not as special as we would expect Him to be, or to say it differently, He's not special in the ways we would expect him to be. He doesn't come with fireworks. Jesus has, in the words of Isaiah 53, no form or majesty that we should look to him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he was, as the author writes, a man from whom we hide our faces. We esteemed him not. That, that's all true of Jesus, when we see him with what we might call the natural eyes. But on the other hand, through the eyes of faith, through the eyes of what one man in this passage says this morning, Jesus is the Son of God, the King of Israel. How do you see Jesus? Like when you see Jesus, what, what, who do you see him to be? Is he impressive? Is he unimpressive? To follow Jesus will continually entail this confrontation with our pride that sees less in him than we ought to see. But for the humble who follow Jesus, there's a promise for us this morning we're going to see that when we follow Jesus with humility, there's more beauty to see in Christ than we'll have yet seen. As we look at this passage, we're going to do so in two parts. I want to break it up kind of a first section we're going to talk about what it looks like to follow Jesus that's a big part of this passage and the other part of this passage is why we might want to follow Jesus like what does it look like to follow him and and why might we want to follow Jesus so here's what I want us to see at first followers of Jesus follow Jesus It's very profound I know followers of Jesus follow Jesus jesus i'm i'm aware of the circular nature of that sentence and i mean for it to be there i know when we look up definitions in the dictionary like we go okay you look up i was going to do the paper book but we're probably more likely this way you look something up in the dictionary say you look up christianity and the definition if it comes back christianity is the christian religion you're like i'm not (laughs) that's not very helpful you just reuse the words okay Circular nature, that definitions do something different. Okay, when I say followers of Jesus follow Jesus, I'm not so much trying to come up with a definition, so much as I'm trying to reckon with what John wants us to see in this passage about followers of Jesus. And I'm not just trying to describe what John wants to see, but if we were trying to say what what John is doing writ large is what God is doing is is, is not merely what he wants us to see in followers of Jesus, but who he wants us to be. I want to show you what I mean. So hopefully you have a Bible open. We did get it on the screen, but it won't be on there again. So if you have a Bible, page 834, one of those pew Bibles. I don't know if you brought a Bible where it's at, or you can use the phone you were using earlier. But John chapter 1, I I want to point out some things, and they're going to be very specific things, so you're going to want to be looking at it if you haven't grabbed a Bible yet. John chapter 1, let me read verse 43 to you again. John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Okay, now skip 44, look at verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We'll say more about that line at the end. But you notice the repetition of a word in those two verses. We will read it again. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Then we read, Philip found Nathaniel. Right, do you see it? What Jesus did, Philip did. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. Jesus goes and finds Philip. What's the first thing Philip does? Goes and finds somebody else, brings him to Jesus. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus, which is a way to say we follow in his footsteps. We do the sorts of things he did. We're going to see this one more time in this passage. So look at verse 46. Verse 46, Nathanael said to him, this is to Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see, come and see. Now if I, you were to ask me where I was born, I'd tell you Columbia, Missouri. If you asked me where I was from, I'd probably say Jefferson City, Missouri, There. They're 45 minutes apart, but the one I lived in a whole lot longer than we lived in Columbia, Missouri. It's sort of something like that's going on here with Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem, but lived most of his life in Nazareth. And Nathaniel, probably knew the Old Testament prophecy about a Messiah coming from Bethlehem. You don't have to look this up now, but a book in the Old Testament called Micah, Micah 5.2, speaks of the Savior coming from a little town of Bethlehem. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, write the song. And so maybe, maybe Nathaniel's just confused here. He's like, I I know my scriptures, and he doesn't come from Nazareth. There's nothing in the Old Testament about Nazareth. But I don't think that's really the issue for Nathaniel. Because that's not what he says. There's a verse in the Bible in the Old Testament that says he comes from Bethlehem, so how does this work? That's not what he says, is it? What does he say? Here we see Nathanael's pride keeping him from seeing the beauty of Jesus. Nazareth is a town without a stoplight, without a grocery store. If you blink, even on a donkey, you might miss it. As you drive through. How can one who is, quote, the ruler of Israel, Micah 5.2, come from such a lame town with such backward people? He's from somewhere else, by the way can hear Nathanael's pride and prejudice. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Now look how Philip responds to him. Lots of options in front of Philip how to respond. He doesn't argue. He doesn't rebuke. He doesn't give seven reasons Nathanael's wrong. Philip just says what? Come and see. Come and see. Where do you think he learned that evangelism move? It's not the only play in the book, so to speak. Where do you think he learned that? Bible open, hopefully go, look, look with your eyes up to the passage Tony was preaching last week, chapter 1, verse 38 and 39. might have to flip back a page, it's on the previous page in the Pew Bibles. Philip learned this from Jesus, look what happens, 38 and 39. Jesus turned and saw them, following him, this is two other people, he said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. This is how the message of Christianity spreads. Some of you don't know yet what you think about Jesus. You're you're here this morning. Perhaps someone invited you. It's great. Keep coming. Keep seeing. Some of you have been followers of Jesus for, for many years. Great. Keep coming. Keep seeing. There's more to be seen. But as you come, if you've been following Jesus, follow Jesus. That's what this passage is saying to us. Bring people with you. You you, you don't have to have been following Jesus for 50 years to bring people with you. In fact, if you've been following Jesus for 50 years and you haven't brought people with you, you're not following Jesus. Following Jesus involves following Jesus. Philip's been following Jesus for like five minutes. and He's got people coming with him. You can do this. I think of those goofy lines in the Dr. Seuss book *Green Eggs and Ham*. <laughs> I don't know if Dr. Seuss had this passage in mind as he wrote the book. Probably not. I would not like Jesus here or there.
0: I would not like him anywhere.
1: Okay, okay, you might say. Try him, try him, and you may. Okay? You probably shouldn't make it rhyme. That, Christians are already kind of corny. Like, <laughs> don't, don't don't make it rhyme. But you can say this to someone you love. Right? It's, it's, it's not that hard. Someone you know, someone you care about, co-worker perhaps. Say, hey, you seem to feel really strongly about Jesus and um, you don't like him. I, would you want to come to church? See what he's like. Get to know his people. You could say that. Say that to someone this week. Maybe you have a friend. Say, hey, you... you it seems like you feel really strongly about the Bible, and I don't want to be offensive, but it, it just doesn't seem like you've actually read it that much. Would you, is that something you would want to do together? Like I, I'm not an expert, but, but maybe we could read it together. Part of the reason we have a church softball team is not just so I can make jokes about Tom Brady and me coming out of retirement, <laughs> as funny as those are, um, mainly it's so that we can help people come see Jesus. There's more to us than softball. There's this guy named Jesus. Come and see. My parents are here this weekend as well as my mother and father-in-law. I'm so thankful they're here. We're going to hang out for 4th of July. And I re-asked my father this story yesterday. I was thinking about it. Um, Part of how he became a Christian was someone said, come and see, essentially. Drew a diagram on the back of a pizza box about what it means to follow Jesus. And that changed a family tree. So the first point is that followers of Jesus follow Jesus. But let's end, let's spend a few minutes here talking about why we might want to follow Jesus. What is it about Jesus that we see that's compelling? Now the passage is brief and I'll be brief too. But there's a number of beautiful truths here about Jesus. I'll, I'll mention just four of them briefly. First we see the beauty that Jesus is the one seeking you. Read verse 43 again. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Think about that. Jesus is seeking them. Jesus is finding them. He's seeking and he's finding you. In John chapter 1, verse 13, we read that the children who are born of God are those born... Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God, which is a way to say that God's doing something supernatural when we come to Him. And that's a wonderful thing. Jesus is seeking you right now, not, not merely in the abstract or the collective of that is Sunday morning of us together, but, but you in the individual, you in the particular. Which leads to really the next thing I want to point out about the beauty of Jesus. Second, we see the beauty that Jesus sees you. He sees you. Verse 33, Jesus finds Philip, one man in particular. Then look at verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him. And he said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. (laughs) Kind of an ironic line, really. Nathaniel, apparently is something of a straight shooter. The last thing we're told about him, as readers, is that he had just mocked Jesus' hometown. And Jesus is oh, here's a straight shooter. Which is a way to say that Nathaniel was sincere about his doubts, and Jesus took them seriously your doubts about Jesus may be very sincere as well. You don't have to have them keep you from Jesus, though. Maybe you have doubts. There's so many do these days about the Bible's view of sexuality and what does it mean and how is it good for us? Or the Bible's view of the supernatural. What, could those things really have happened? Like, all those doubts that might be bubbling up from the culture we're in or the heart, your heart within you. I just want to say, like, you can still bring them to Jesus. They don't have to keep you from Jesus. Maybe because of really hard things that have happened in your life, you wonder, does God even love me? Now we don't know exactly what the line means, I saw you under the fig tree. Perhaps Nathaniel's doing something good. Maybe he's reading his Bible. Maybe he's praying and Jesus saw that. Or as (laughs) Pastor David made the pun during our preaching week, maybe Nathaniel was doing something shady under the tree. David. We don't know. We don't know what was happening under the tree, but something, the the important point of the passage is that Nathanael knows what was happening under the tree and Jesus knows what was happening under the tree and they know. They know. They know. We don't know. They know. And that's striking and I would say even startling to Nathanael. It would be like if one of you this morning is new to our church, perhaps you're visiting and I say, Nice to meet you, and I say, that was a scary dream you had last night. You must be really worried about cancer. Like, whoa, that's uncomfortable. Or I saw you driving to work. I, I would be worried too with those financial circumstances you're experiencing. Right? That, that Something like that is going on here. Philip brings Nathanael, and Nathanael has decisions to make now. It's God who sees me, love me. He concludes that he does. Which leads, I really think, to the the next title, or the the beautiful thing about Jesus in this passage, is the wonderful and lofty titles. Nathanael changes his opinion very quickly. And really, all of John 1 here in the last passage of John, it, it, it's probably worthwhile to say something that John is doing at the beginning of his gospel is he's just, with, with more time than he's really giving it, or excuse me, the time he's going to give later in the book to these titles he's introducing to us here. But I'll just mention them briefly here. They're wonderful. John chapter 1, verse 1, he's the word at the beginning who is God himself. Verse 4, he is life. Verse 5, he's the light that shines in the darkness and can't be overcome. Verse 29, he's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In our passage, verse 45, he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Nathanael says, verse 49, son of God, king of Israel. And then in verse 51, Jesus says of himself that he's the son of man. Now, if you're new to the Bible and to Jesus, you might not think much of that title, Son of Man. It's a phrase that Jesus used of himself over and over and over again, and you might think Son of God, Son of Man, speaking of his humanity. To be honest, it's actually Son of Man, in light of the Old Testament passages, is a lofty divine title. Just humor me for a minute here because this is super important to see. When Jesus calls himself son of man, he's saying something really wonderful. In Daniel chapter 7, the prophet, he sees this vision of a heavenly throne room and there's what we would call God the Father sitting on a throne and there's thousands there worshiping. Daniel chapter 7 verse 13. And then Daniel says, one like a son of man came in. And he says of this Son of Man, who we know now to be Jesus, claiming this himself, he says, and to him the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. That's what Jesus is saying of himself in that short phrase. He's worthy of being followed. Look with me at verse 51. Not only is he all those things, but he is the one who opens up heaven to us. Verse 51. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now here I... Again, I don't want to be distracting with all the Old Testament allusions, but the New Testament is just plump, so to speak, with Old Testament allusions. And here, Jesus rattles off another one. There's a story in the book of Genesis. We sometimes call it Jacob's ladder. Jacob was one of the patriarchs, later had his name changed to Israel. And in that story, Jacob sees this vision of angels coming up and down on a ladder from heaven. What Jesus is doing here is he's saying, heaven comes down to you on me. Now, I will tell you, I had, I had always, um, as I was first began reading the Bible for myself, misunderstood this language. I, I was confused about it with saying or not saying. I thought, okay, angels are ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I took that to be like a bird flying from a tree, landing on the ground, going back up, like angels are landing on Jesus' head or something and going back up and down. Um, that's not what it's saying. It's more saying there's like an escalator. And Jesus is that escalator. And angels are going down and going up. They're coming. Heaven is opening up. Now, there's no specific fulfillment of this in the New Testament. We don't read, okay, this is the one moment. I think what Jesus is saying here, as you follow me, as you come and see, what you're going to see is more than you ever expected. You're invited to enjoy heaven through me. He's the stairway to heaven. He's the escalator to heaven. He is, we might say, the bridge. I don't know picture-wise if we're going to be able to get that one up. Do we have that on the the ability to put that picture up there? Um, So (laughs) I mentioned my father becoming a Christian. I don't know if this is what it looked like exactly. This is the one I found on the internet. (gasps) I didn't redraw one. But it's the bridge diagram. If you've been around Christianity, it's, it's drawn hundreds of thousands of times and brought people to faith, but it has our sin on one side and heaven on the other and Jesus coming down in the middle on the cross, taking our sins away. Which really leads me to this last point I want to make. You can pull the picture down. There's always more beauty to see in Jesus. At first, Nathaniel is saying, can anything good come from Nazareth? And then he says, whoa, you're him. And Jesus says, you actually believe too easily. Like, you haven't seen anything yet. And the you there, if you're looking in your Bible, there's a little footnote. I usually don't get into the footnotes, but it says that you is plural. He's looking at Nathaniel and says, y'all haven't seen anything yet. You, Nathaniel, you, Philip, you, disciples, you, Community Evangelical Free Church, you you haven't seen anything yet. He's widening out to all of us. For those who follow Christ, there's always more of him to see. This life and the life to come, but we have to come. Nathaniel could have walked away. Been in ministry long enough to see others walk away. This gospel work, it may seem small, insignificant. He's not from Rome or Jerusalem. He's not from Washington, D.C. or Los Angeles. He's not from the centers of government power or cultural power. And his people, they're not that special. They have technical difficulties on Sunday mornings. His people and his message is simple. The gospel might not look all that powerful, and yet I've seen it change lives. Maybe you have too. The book Pride and Prejudice, it's published over 200 years ago, so I feel okay giving away the spoiler. Uh, Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy do get over their Pride and Prejudice, but they they spend a lot of time, which is what makes the book... uh, wasting a lot of time and heartache to get over that pride and prejudice. Nathaniel doesn't seem to waste much time. I, I don't know how much time you've wasted this last week or this last decade, but Jesus is inviting you to come and see more in him because he's actually the one seeking you. And that's this is where I just want to end. We mentioned 4th of July. 200 years ago, we have a very famous document that speaks of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And that Second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, we read that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are what? What does it say? Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. It's a good thing. Would that those words were truer even now for us in our country than they were when they were written? The good news of Christianity is actually something even better. Not that you can pursue life, liberty, and happiness, but life, liberty, and happiness are pursuing you. He has a name. Son of God. Son of man. King of Israel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the the scriptures you've given us. That give us the ability to see you as you are. And all of your power and all your might, all your, in a sense, awkwardness of calling people that are going about their life, doing whatever it is we're doing, and you say, follow me. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that follows you and knows the joy of walking with you all of our days and helping others do the same. We pray this in Jesus' name.